Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning for WorkinSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. There are so many interesting conversations to have right now surrounding the abnormal sports world we are currently immersed in. The other day, I was asked during a panel discussion what I thought were the most important skills someone in the industry should be utilizing and leveraging right now. Now, I get asked this question a lot, so I have kind of a go-to answer that I believe in wholeheartedly. It's not rote. It's just something that I, I do say a lot. In normal conditions, I say coachability, competitiveness, and curiosity. Those are the three things I think are vitally important for success in the sports industry. Those are literally my three favorite terms when it comes to employment actually in any industry. Curiosity, competitiveness, and coachability. But right now, I've kind of had to adjust my thinking some, and so I improved on the fly. Oh, improv, that's a little uh, foreshadowing there. On the fly during this panel discussion. Uh, those three terms are still incredibly viable, but I'm going to throw three more at you. Uh, flexibility, improvisation, and innovation. Let's break these down a bit because they're all aligned but subtly different. Let's start with flexibility. There's a narrative in every industry, and if you've been working for any period of time, you've probably heard this before, that you continue doing things because that's the way we've always done things. I have heard this thousands of times. You try to come up with a new idea and somebody says, yeah, that's not really the way we do things, right? Uh, routine, history, legacy decisions. This is how the business world can be embedded sometimes. That's why it's so hard to be agile and move things around. But that is not acceptable now. The assumption that we just keep plugging along without change is flawed. We need to entertain ideas and we need to be flexible in their deployment. We need to be flexible in the ways we generate revenue, allocate resources, and more. Everything is on the table. Processes and objectives need to change. Now, this could be temporary. This could be just during coronavirus, or it could be this breaks us through to new heights. That's exciting. Okay, improvisation. Improvisation is literally the act of coming up with ideas on the spot. We all need to open up and engage the parts of our brain that spark creativity and different thinking. We've been for so long following patterns, just repeating exactly what we're taught, doing exactly what we're told, doing the black and white kind of decision making. We need to spark the fire of improvisation. We all need to consider the unconventional. Look at high school sports. Okay. The NBA can have a bubble. The NFL can test daily. High school athletes are at higher risk of contracting and spreading. This is beyond doubt. This is not a political statement. It is a fact. So when people say, have you considered playing in the spring? Have you considered a condensed schedule? Have you considered this? Have you considered that? That is improvising. We need to turn on the thought-provoking sides of our brain and say, we should consider everything. Anyone right now that's saying, I will absolutely not do that, instead of, we are going to discuss that. We are going to model that. We are going to talk about that. We're going to come up with the pluses and minuses of these decisions and come to a conclusion. Anybody that says that we are absolutely not going to do that is not somebody I want to be associated with. I want somebody that can improvise. I want somebody that can think differently. I want somebody that can see the challenge and say, let's come up with ideas. Innovation. Chaos breeds opportunity. That is just a fact. So where is it? This needs to be the mantra of all businesses and employees. Where is the opportunity? How can we shift, realign, change products, change approaches, innovate? 
Companies that changed their clothing textiles to mass development innovated. Sports businesses that created digital platforms and webinars and podcasts and virtual internships. They innovated. We need that spirit back. Innovate. Improvise. Be flexible. No one embodies that more than today's guest. Melissa Silberman is the Director of Partnership Activation for the Atlanta Hawks. Simply put, she works to make sure team sponsors have impactful campaigns that reach their audience with powerful messaging. Well, think about it. A big percentage of that is through in-arena activations. The 21,000 crazy fans coming to State Farm Arena on game night are seeing and engaging with sponsor activities. So what do you do when there is no more of that? There is no 21,000 crazy fans coming to game night. How does Melissa and her team show the sponsors there is great value in association with the Hawks, even without the crazy fans at the arena? That's an interesting conversation. That's what the team has been uh, forced to do. Every team. Flexibility, innovation, improvisation. You'll hear it right now. Here she is, Melissa Silberman. Hi, Melissa. How are you doing today? Hi, Brian. Good. How are you? I am really good, and I'm really excited to talk to you today because you are in a very interesting side of the sports world. You graduate from University of Florida. You've worked in the NFL. You've worked in the NBA. You've got a lot of great experience to share, so thanks a lot for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So there's a lot of topics I want to get into. Uh, I want to talk today about your journey and how you got to these positions and understand a little bit more about partnership activation and the business world we're currently in. But let's start with this. Uh, you got your bachelor's and your master's in sports management at University of Florida. So it's clear you knew from early on that you wanted to work in sports. But did you choose this path of partnership activation as your path, or did it kind of choose you as you went through graduation and, and figuring out where you wanted to go? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I think in a way it sort of chose me, you could say. I originally wanted to be a lawyer, so there's that. Well, I guess wow. my grandma, my grandma wanted me to be a lawyer. She was like, <laughs> we, need, we need one in the family. Um, and, you know, I, I did have interest in being a lawyer and I wanted to pursue that. And I think then my interest in sports kind of came about while I was in middle school. And I remember we were watching my dad and I, we were across the street at a neighbor's. We were watching the, the 2003 or four Super Bowl. I think it was the Bucks Raiders. And for some reason, I just started asking all these questions like, so what's going on here in the game? And my dad was, you know, he didn't have a son, it was just me and my sister. So he was probably like, yeah, <laughs> um, he started just, you know, kind of coaching me through it. And we were talking about it and it just kind of became a, a good a pastime for him and I, and we connected through it. And I moved to South Florida, um, went to high school there and college sports is so huge in the South. And yeah. I was able to, you know, watch some of my friends go through playing high school sports and then the recruitment process of going into college and, you know, working through kind of creating their own identity and, and, and brand as aspiring professional athletes. And then, you know, watched Jerry Maguire once or twice. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to kind of mix the passions of law and sports. And, and I wanted to be a sports agent. So that was kind of the goal going into school and why I took on the major of sport management. Um, but then I was a year in, uh, at the University of Florida, and I had come in with a ton of credits. Um, so I technically was considered a sophomore, and my guidance counselor advisor brought to me this program. It was a combined degree program where you get your bachelor's, 
and the last year of your bachelor's doubles as the first year of your master's. So your oh, second, cool. you know, master's or a bachelor's takes four years, your master's takes two years typically. So what one student might normally be able to do in six years, I could do in five. But because I was such a nerd and ahead of the curve and had all these credits, <laughs> I was actually going to be able to do it in four because I was going to okay. graduate with my bachelor's in three and then add on that extra year for my master's. So for me, that gave me the opportunity to get my master's in sport management as well, instead of the initial initial direction for me, which was going to be this pre-law focus and go to law school mm-hmm. after uh, undergrad. So um, I kind of landed there and, and started um, you know, working towards my master's. Uh, of science and sport management. And during that time, you know, took on a couple jobs with the university's athletic association and got into um, working for the football program. And one thing led to another. And after applying to hundreds and hundreds of jobs, um, the Dol- you know, the dolphins were the ones to call back. And I didn't know at the time exactly what partnership activation was, but um, I took it. It was, in yeah. South Florida, my family was there and uh, it made sense uh, at the time. So I'll admit, I've been in the sports industry for over 20 years now, which is dating myself a lot. But I've been I've been doing this for a good amount of time. And yet I'm not sure I could fully articulate what partnership activation is. So take it take it back and explain it to us. What is your what is your main the main thrust of your role? What is it? What is partnership activation mean on kind of a high level and then get into your day to day a little bit? And I understand that day to days change and the no two days are the same and all that. But what are the main kind of focuses of your role? Right. Yeah. I asked myself when I was offered the job too, like, what is this? What um, is this? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, when I was going through my grad program, I had a, a couple sports marketing classes and I think sports sponsorship and this idea of partnership activation was maybe a page or two within a textbook. But right. now of course they have a, a, a course actually dedicated to it, which a friend of mine teaches, um, cool. but not back then. So for me, um, it was, it was a, a whole new learning curve. Partnership activation, you know, a lot of people think it's like team marketing, um, but no. So teams have their own kind of in-house marketing departments, but in corporate partnerships, which is the umbrella kind of that partnership activation falls under, we're essentially the extension of our sponsors' marketing arms. Um, So you have Coca-Cola, Bud Light, State Farm, UPS, Chick-fil-A, all of these brands that sponsor the team. And our job, I guess, simply put, is to help create solutions to business problems that they have. How can we help move the needle, um, drive home different business initiatives for these brands? And so these sponsors spend dollars with us um, to achieve certain marketing goals and objectives. And by doing so, you know, they're associating themselves with our team. They have the reach of our audience, um, the use of our IP. And we're able to then deliver to almost any target consumer or business segment. So whether a company wants to simply build brand awareness um, or drive foot traffic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, t- into their stores, um, you know, uh, reach the population on a grassroots level, you know, drive community impact. Um, that's kind of what we're here to do and, and find creative ways to accomplish those goals by leveraging our, you know, different assets or whatnot. So it's, 
it's a unique job because it kind of forces you to become an expert in many different industries, right? So, you know, I manage a relationship right now with the Hawks of our naming rights partner, State Farm, uh, and our Jersey Patch partner, ShareCare. So I have to know everything I can about the insurance industry and the health and wellness industry. Um, But in doing so, you know, day to day, we get to work with so many different people, both internally because um, our partnerships kind of touch all areas of the organization Mm -hmm. um, and also externally because, you know, our network has expanded uh, tremendously by all the relationships with these different brands that we have and the different layers within these companies. Um, So to your point, I don't have one day that looks or feels the same. Um, But, you know, in season, it's a lot of, um, you know, working on different promotions, social campaigns, uh, in arena activations, meetings with clients, um, potential clients, out of season. It's a lot of planning. It's a lot of recapping the year. Um, But, you know, again, no one day looks alike. No, of course not. So why, as you got into this role and you found this kind of career path, why do you feel now that you personally are well suited for partnership activation? Why have you found this to be a good match? Is there are there certain personality traits that just line up well? Are there specific skills that you have that make this kind of a natural fit? What have you kind of discovered about this world that just makes it like where your fit is in the industry? Yeah, um, I think for me, at the end of the day, I'm in the relationship building industry. So and that's something that I, I feel like I'm very good at. Um, you know, we're in the hospitality, the, the entertainment industry. And I mean, of course, in this field, it's easy to say, you know, you got to be creative and you have to be able to think strategically and have strong business acumen. And that's all important. Um, but at the end of the day, being able to kind of build solid relationships with clients and, and coworkers um, is most important. And then, you know, I think for me, just being able to work effectively in like a fast paced environment that is the sports world. Um, it's ever changing. And uh, fortunately, and unfortunately, I think, you know, it is very agile, and ever kind of evolving. So that's, you know, equally as important. And I've kind of found myself um, able to do that and, and very, you know, quick learner because started at the Miami Dolphins having no clue what <laughs> activation was. And now here I am eight or nine years later, but Uh, I would say those two are probably the biggest for me and why I feel like I kind of fit in as well as I do. I I started my sports career in Atlanta at CNN Sports Illustrated, and I loved the urgency and the pace. I loved that fast pace. I loved having everything happen so fast. I do think that's a kind of a a skill or attribute that that most of the people I know in the sports industry kind of like that pace. So I can see why you were able to adapt to change. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what about the now? Okay. We're living in strange times. We know that I refuse to say anything like the new normal or anything like that. I want to, I want to get, stay away from as many cliches as possible, but no fan at games for the foreseeable future bubbles here, all these different things going on, all these changes in the league. It's a constant state of flux. How do you sell from just a business standpoint? How do you sell potential sponsors on the fact that you can still reach the fans, even if they aren't coming to State Farm each arena each game, how are you able to bridge that kind of gap or that concern? Yeah, we're definitely in a uh, unique time right now. Um, I was listening to um, a podcast the other day, and this this woman was talking about you know pivot, don't panic, right? Like going mm-hmm. through kind of times of change and 
our, uh, our team's definitely taking that mantra to heart right now. Um, and like I said, you know, we're problem solvers. We're trying to find solutions. And for us, you have to kind of take a step back and think like attendance, fans in the building is just one way um, that sponsors reach fans. And if fans can't come into the arena, um, then they're just going to have to change the channel, you know, to follow the team. And so fans aren't going to just stay at home and now turn off their TVs and turn off the radio and no longer be on social media. Um, you know, our the Atlanta Hawks social media is heavy. Um, our community footprint is is really strong. And so for us, we just have to get creative and, you know, be able to leverage those alternative channels to engage our audience. Yeah, I was looking uh, this morning as I was doing a little bit of research, and, the, and when you really break it down, the capacity for State Farm Arena is 21,000, and yet you have 1.2 million Twitter followers. Right. So, so I wonder sometimes if we as outsiders somewhat overvalue the important. I'm not saying the fans in the stadium isn't important, but do we almost overvalue the reach of that moment and 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 not realize that there's so many other ways and channels, like you said, TV, radio, digital, social, other ways to communicate with fans? Yeah, I mean, the digital and social media channels have been underutilized and undervalued for a while now. And I think we're all just kind of starting to realize that. Um, and properly utilized, some of the more effective activations and campaigns are going to be able to come to light. And I also think that we can't forget the power of association and, you know, being able to unify a brand with our Hawks logo, the NBA um, brand, you know, and use of those logos and kind of how we can amplify different brand brand messages using um, the power of, of our IP. Yeah. Which is going to be so important. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. So you kind of referenced it earlier in the conversation a little bit subtly. How important is, is it in partnership activation to work effectively cross-functionally across groups? I mean, because you, like you said, you're, in, you're working with the digital team, you're working with the promotions team, you're working with all these different groups within the Hawks organization. How important is that just to be that relationship focused person that can get along with a lot of different people that can be organized and keep things moving in the right direction and just really be productive in that way? Yeah. What's, um, my big fat Greek wedding. I don't know if you remember watching. Oh, that, but yes, of course. The, the, the wife, um, the mom, she, she does this analogy of like her husband's the head, but she's the neck and she's the one kind of directing. And I feel like that's kind of similar in the line of work we do. Like we delegate a lot. Yeah. Um, we rely on so many other departments to help execute on, on many activations. Um, to bring a lot of these partnerships to life, whether it's our social media team helping to ideate, you know, a new creative social campaign, um, or if it's our in arena promotions team, our dancers, um, our, our CS, you know, our corporate social responsibility groups, just helping kind of bring everything to light for us. And so it is very important. Um, yeah. And again, going back on those relationships, um, probably most important to make sure that your internal relationships are tight. Because again, it takes uh, many, many different areas of the organization to help um, activate a lot of these partnerships and um, being able to work with well with others uh, yeah. is, is very important in doing so. Yeah, it's one of those skills that once you get out into the workforce, you realize you have to master. You have to be able to work right. with other people or you never accomplish anything. Right. And that's, the, that's the end goal, of course. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So the last trip I made before quarantine, the last time I left my state um, was down to Atlanta for the National Sports Forum Conference in February. And during that conference, we had one of the events was at State Farm Arena. And Steve Coonan, the Hawk CEO, uh, came out and spoke to the group that was there. And what was impressive was he spoke a lot about how they've the redesign of the arena and how they have a different approach to the moment, like what a ticket means, like uh, going to the game now isn't just, we expect you to sit in your seat for two and a half hours and watch every moment. We want you to enjoy all these different micro environments all across the stadium and look at it like an entertaining night rather than just a game. And that really stuck with me in a lot of different ways. Um, When we toured the arena, it, it looked at me like it has to be a sponsor's dream come true because it looked like Candyland in a way. That was just like so many different ways you could be creative. I have to imagine, you know, social and other channels are great and you can be creative and do everything. But is there something special about seeing your activation come to life on game night and just having that experience with the 21,000 people there and everybody's raucous and they're seeing your work and having it just come to come to life for you? Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible, and I I miss the National Sports Forum, and I miss seeing Steve speak. I was I was on the road with the the team last minute, um, but we hands down have the best arena in the NBA. It's really um, cool. I didn't yeah. even just saying that because you're here. I really liked it. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm sure you probably heard Steve say this, but the building represents Atlanta, and that's why it's so incredible. I mean, it truly it mirrors the city. So, and that was the intent in building it. Between, you know, we brought in all these different local restaurants into the concession stands in the building. And we brought one of the top chefs in Atlanta in to come be the executive chef for the arena. Um, We brought, you know, we kind of mimicked all these different neighborhoods of Atlanta within different areas of the arena. And we have Killer Mike's Swag Shop, which is shave, wash, and groom. We have a barber shop in the building where you can get your hair cut while watching the game. And, you know, we have a, a courtside bar on the floor. It's an extension yeah. of the hardwood. So you can't pick up this arena and, like, place it elsewhere. You can't place it in Oklahoma City, right? This is a true-to-Atlanta building. And, um, you know, to your point or what Steve was saying, it's an experience. It's a date night out. It's, you know, you're not just coming to watch basketball, but you're coming for the overall environment of, of being in the, the building. And then the on-court performance, you know, is just a plus. And right. I think for us, that's why, um, you know, we're seeing such a positive response in these first couple of years of fans wanting to come be there and brands wanting to be a part of it. Yeah, as somebody who uh, lived in Atlanta for seven years and was there during the Omni and the first years of Phillips Arena, like State Farm's totally different. Like it is a much better experience. The whole thing is is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to the Florida days, uh, Florida days a little bit because I am curious. While you were getting your degrees, you mentioned you interned with the football team. SEC football is big business. Like these are major operations. How did that experience help you feel ready and prepared for getting your first job in the NFL and working in the NBA? I mean, a lot of times people have to work up to this. You were probably primed and ready after your experience working with the football team. Oh yeah. I think for me, it was like a big wake up call. I mean, Urban Meyer technically hired me left before I started. So worked under under Coach Mushchamp um, mm-hmm. and George Wynn. I worked directly for him. He's the director of football operations. But, I mean, it's one thing to wake up and go to work inside a college football stadium every day and be so passionate about, like, working in sports. But the grind is hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's early hours. It's late nights. It's working weekends. And I think maybe 
during my time at school, I watched one or two football games uh, as a fan from the stands, you know, my entire time in Gainesville because um, you're working and you don't get to go out Friday night before game night because you have a 5 a.m. wake up call. Right. So it was a nice trial run for me. And I think it really tested, you know, myself, like, do I really want this, this career in sports? And the answer was yes, because mm-hmm. every day I woke up excited to get to work and, and help the team get better. So um, that experience was crucial, I think, in preparing me for uh, life in, in pro sports. But man, was it tough. It was hard. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It was great, so, though. Yeah, I bet. So after Florida, hired right out of college by the Miami Dolphins, one of the most iconic sports franchises that there is, like you said, in your backyard in South Florida. What do you remember most about your first day? What do I remember most? I remember like pinching myself. So I lived in in Palm Beach or, or Wellington, Florida, which is about 55 miles north of the stadium. And I was living with my family. So I remember I can't be late and I need to account for traffic. So I left like two and a half hours before yeah. just in case. Meanwhile, you know, I got there an hour and a half early, which probably the, the biggest thing I remember is I've never been an hour and a half early to anything other than my first day working for the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> I'm usually cutting it pretty close. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it was just like a surreal day. Like I'm working for an NFL team. I'm working, you know, not all teams work in their stadiums, but I was, you know, working, walking into an NFL stadium for my first day, um, you know, post-college. And it was surreal. I, I, remember trying not to ask too many questions and like being that annoying kind of staff assistant day one, um, who was just like so excited and wanted to know everything there was. Um, but, but it was awesome. That's definitely a day I'll never forget. And the people that I met, um, I still talk to, to this day. I mean, a lot of whom are no longer with the dolphins, some that are, um, but that organization's incredible. and, And that first day was, um, was awesome. I'm guessing a referral from Urban Meyer <laughs> maybe helped out a little bit. <laughs> That's a good background to have. Not, nothing. No, I mean, and I had only met Urban Meyer once or twice prior, but no, I told you I blindly applied mm-hmm. to all cool. hundreds and hundreds of jobs. And yeah. um, funny story, though, with this one is I actually applied for a level above. It was like a coordinator level role. Um, and... I hadn't heard back. I had gotten a phone interview, which was great because, you know, for every hundred jobs you apply for, you get maybe 10 calls back. And then, you know, for every hundred, maybe you get one that'll bite. And, um, for me, someone, um, my, my, who would then become my, my boss, um, called me and asked me if I was still interested in the position working for the dolphins. And I said, absolutely. I just hadn't heard back, you know, and, Mm -hmm. She's like, okay, well, I know you applied for this position, but you're just not qualified. You don't have, you know, the two to three years experience that we were looking for. Um, But the level beneath it, you know, I'd love to have you come. You'd work directly for me as this staff assistant level position, Um, you know, minimum wage or something around there. Um, but we'd love for you to start in two weeks. And I can Mm -hmm. promise you, you know, your growth is, is, would be a priority. And I was like, done. Yeah, I'm there. I didn't even apply for it, but I was like, you know what? This is my foot in the door. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity for me. And um, I was just so grateful to even, you know, and and I guess my resume, someone had um, bailed on the position last minute. So my resume kind of went top of the pile and and they called me. So, yeah. Timing Timing always matters. Yeah. So, 
10 months later, though, it didn't take you long. 10 months later, you were promoted to account manager, partnership activation, retention. So this is where the partnership activation career path started to take off. Um, why? Look back at that 10-month period. Why do you think you were promoted so quickly? What was your attitude during that 10 months? What did you bring to the table? How did you build up your, and don't be humble, be honest. Like, How did you start to get yourself in position to grow within the Miami Dolphins organization? Yeah. So I think it was a little bit of a couple things. I think one, it was, you know, timing. We had a new CEO come in and, and some change and turnover and the opportunity was there and I saw it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to come in. I'm going to be a sponge, kind of soak up all that I can um, and really put forth, you know, my best effort in showing them that I might not know a ton about, you know, what I've gotten myself into here, but I'm committed um, and it was those long hours, those late nights. Um, sometimes I wasn't leaving the office until 1am and I'd get back there 7, 8am in the morning. Um, I didn't know how to say no, you know, and, and I did that on purpose, right? I was, I, you know, said yes to everything just to get as much experience as I could, as much visibility to other departments and other, you know, leaders in the organization as I could. Um, and I think it was really that like 24 seven kind of work mentality that helped you know, my trajectory. So eventually you get promoted to the role of senior manager and partnership activation. How does this change things? When you go from being more of an individual contributor, you're, you know, an account manager, you're a coordinator, you're a whatever, and then you become management. Like how did that kind of change for you where now you're managing other people, you're managing bigger processes, you're setting the strategy, all those different things that go into that kind of, that's a pretty big jump. How did that feel for you? And, and what was that like? Um, yeah, that was a, a, a difficult transition, I think, in a sense, because I, I know how I wanted to be managed and how I like to be managed. And I wanted to make sure that, um, that's what I was giving, you know, at the time, I think I was only managing one, maybe two people. And, and, you know, now at the Hawks managing a larger, a larger group. But um, I think there, I was just trying to like take the little nuggets from all the great leaders that I've had in my past and, and use that. And, you know, outside of just kind of like going with the flow and, and addressing, you know, each obstacle um, as it came, because I don't know that anyone can like teach you how to manage people. It's kind of like this innate ability that you just learn. And um, some people are, are meant for it and, and some people aren't. But for me, I was just really passionate about it. And I still am. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, I think, you know, multiple times a day. Um answering <laughs> yeah right and uh answering you know people that are you know whether they're soon to be gator alumni or just people trying to break out into the industry like i want um them to be able to use me as a resource i didn't really have that um you know when i was trying to break into the industry so for me just coaching people and helping people get to where i was at the time and want to continue to, to be um was really important to me. Um, and so I kind of use that to help, you know, best manage, um, whether it was a project or, um, you know, a teammate. That's cool. So, yeah. So then you jump to the Hawks and you've scripted now from, you're still partnership activation, but now you're in the NBA, obviously the NBA and the NFL have some different audiences. They have some overlap, but, uh, there are definitely some differences. There's definitely differences in the personas and the, and the clientele and whatever it may be. Are the partnerships different? Uh, is, are there different perspectives on their different approaches? It, does it really change a lot as you go from the NFL to the NBA or is it still kind of 
best practices that you were able to use as you as you jumped to the NBA? Big learning curve? Like, what was that like? Yeah, definitely a big learning curve. I mean, for one, I was, you know, putting on 10 Super Bowls or 10 home games, right, in the NFL, and then you go and you jump up to 41, um, which was a little bit of a change. Uh, plus, you know, here in, in at State Farm Arena in Atlanta, you know, music is a huge part of what we do. And so wow. our building is programmed with concerts or family shows, comedy shows, whatever, you know, almost 365. But yes, to all of the above. I mean, the NBA and NFL is are different, very much so, in my opinion, in the product, right, or the, the identity of the league and their audience or fan base, like you mentioned. So I think the NFL holds this top spot for America's favorite sport. But um, if you're looking at purely viewership and whatnot, that's what you're going to see. But the NBA's popularity is on the rise. And it's because it's such a progressive league. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, a lot more digital. It's a lot more global. It's a lot more millennial. It's young. Um, so when you're looking to buy sports sponsorship, you know, that's what you're looking at is who is the audience of the league and then the team and the market, you know, who is the reach? Um, what is the purpose? And so for us, our most valuable asset to partners is, like I mentioned earlier, the power of association with our brand and our logo uh, and being able to leverage the passion of our fans. So while you may see a lot of you know similar brands sponsor across many leagues and teams, right? Coke doesn't, doesn't just sponsor within the NBA. Um, it's the lens of how they're activating uh, that differs across each based on those um you know, those few things, the audience and reach being the main. How, how difficult was it important for you to become a data person in some ways too? So you could really get into the, the demographics of your audience and know who you're reaching and then, you know, return on their sponsors investments or whatever, and be able to really articulate that through numbers. Or do you feel like it was more important to be on that relationship marketing creative side? Um, I think a mix. I think sponsorships has changed a lot. You know, it used to be just kind of selling signage and now it's, you know, putting together, preparing this like robust programming and integrated campaigns for these brands and everything's kind of custom. It's not this cookie cutter approach anymore. Um, and with that, you know, everything is very much so data driven. And so, you know, we like to say ROO, return on objective, because, hmm. You know, in order to measure the the impact or the success of a partnership, you know, it's going to be different across different different brands based on what their business initiatives were. So if someone's looking, like I mentioned, to drive retail sales, you know, you have a number um, to strive for. If someone's looking to, you know, drive impact and community and expand their community footprint, you know, what number? There's no metric, right, that you can help. There's no um, you know, from a, from an ROI standpoint. So it's definitely, especially in the last kind of, you know, five, six years, um, been really important to kind of hone in on some of those skills, be a little bit more analytical. Um, I'm still learning, but yeah, me too. Very, yeah, it's very much so important and, and just as important, I'd say, as, you know, having the marketing acumen. Yeah, for sure. All right. You have a busy day ahead, so I don't want to take any more of your time. We'll finish up with this. And I really appreciate you giving as as much insight as you have. Um, I read a referral on your LinkedIn page. I always like to read what other people say about the people I'm about to interview. And uh, someone described you as a self-motivated go-getter, which I find to be like an extreme compliment. Is that attribute that being self-motivated and able to accomplish things on your own, do you think that's essential for success in the sports industry? Uh, well, thank you for saying that. I mean, I would say so. Absolutely. Look, it's 
we touched on this earlier, but the sports industry is a weeding out industry, I say. A, you know, it's not for everybody. And I think a chief pain point for many working in the industry is those long hours that, you know, are involved in working those nights and weekends. And, you know, even working holidays is the norm, right? Christmas, Thanksgiving, it's all about what game's on. So you have to be self-motivated. You have to be passionate about the work that you're doing and have that 24-7 go-getter mentality to get through it. And, you know, it alters your lifestyle and your, you know, family arrangements, but there's a certain kind of camaraderie and knowing that you're not in this alone. I think that's my favorite part about working in sports um, is that it's it's a large industry, but it, it, it is actually pretty small. And um, if you are that self-motivated, uh, passionate, hardworking, you know, diligent individual, you know, you're exactly who we're looking for. That's fantastic. That, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing so much of your journey from University of Florida to Miami Dolphins to Atlanta Hawks. It's so cool. This, I mean, your resume doesn't have any blips in it. It's like you are like top dog the whole way. It's like top shelf the whole way. It's really <laughs> impressive. So we've learned a lot about partnership activation here and so much about you and your journey and what motivates you. And I think that is extremely helpful and insightful for everybody in our audience. So thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. This was awesome. Thank you. I love the real business talk. The career journey stuff is exciting. I love that conversation. But sometimes just digging into the problems that are faced, the challenges, the innovation, the ideas, it gets me all geeked up because I like to see things differently, which gets back to my original point in the intro of talking about curiosity. I consider myself an extremely curious person. I want to learn about new things. My middle child is way into astronomy right now. I know nothing about astronomy, but I looked into getting him this fancy telescope and I was researching it for hours and it was super interesting to me, even though I have no real knowledge of astronomy or telescopes or anything like that. But I'm just curious as you learn about these things, they become interesting and being curious and pushing into new areas and being innovative and flexible. It's just it's so important right now more than ever. So thanks to Melissa for coming on the show. She was a superstar. Connect with her on LinkedIn. I'm telling you, listeners, you should be connecting with guests. Reach out. Add a note. Say you heard them on this show and you loved when they discussed whatever and that you'd like to connect and continue learning from them. Don't all use the same script. Say something unique to you, but give something specific in your outreach and why it's important and why it makes sense. But connect. Our guests are the innovators in the industry. They are the people you want to know. Thanks for listening, everybody. I really appreciate every each and every one of you. Subscribe, rate, review wherever you listen. Give us a good testimony out there. Share with all your friends. It's important to help us grow. Thanks for listening, everybody. Wear a damn mask. I'm out.